This is Trailblazing Justice. I'm Bob Singh, the Executive Director of the Oregon Justice Resource Center. And I'm Eric Dietrich. I'm General Counsel at the Oregon Office of Public Defense Services. Well, welcome back. It's been about, I think, a year we've taken a, a break from this podcast. I, I feel like we had like a really good start to it. So the legislative session happened and last year happened and it just made sense to kind of pause so we could focus, I think, respectively uh, on our work um, and before we could get back into the swing of this. But a lot's happened in the past year, but I'm excited to be able to bring this uh, podcast back and to record with you to be able to discuss criminal justice issues, criminal, criminal legal system, um, and things that have been going on in our state, uh, in our state. Um, and uh, yeah, so looking forward to getting this back in and going. What was supposed to be a short break became a rather large one, and I agree. We both had rather wild years um, that demanded our attention. Certainly within my role in the public defense system, it's been extremely busy, not only for last year's legislative session, but then everything that happened thereafter. So I'm glad to be back. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think last time we left it, at least I was hopeful last year the Blazers could make a deep run into the playoffs. That didn't happen. And as of today, it looks like this season is, um, well, I think it's been a couple of weeks, but this season is virtually over or essentially over, and I can only hold out hope for for next year. So um, there you go. (laughs) But they did beat the Lakers last night, and they made LeBron James sad. Yeah, that, that was actually fun to watch. And, you know, it's good to see some of these, like, younger players get all this playing time and develop. But um, but yeah, so, you know, getting back into the swing of things, I think today we're just going to talk about this past year, some highlights that have happened, some things to help frame the conversations moving forward. Um, and yeah, and just see if we can uh, get this podcast back into, into sort of like a regular rhythm and really, you know, try to talk about like what it is that we hope to accomplish with this podcast. So, I mean, Eric, if you want to start, you did mention like public defense has been, uh, you know, like a pretty big issue this past year, which has taken up a lot of your time. But what's been going on for you this past year? What have been some of like the the big issues for you? Sure. Well, you know, when we left this off about a year ago, we were just beginning the legislative session in the beginning of a a push to really try to get the resources we need so that public defense attorneys could have a reasonable caseload so their clients um could feel competent that their lawyers had enough time to spend on their cases so that we had the funding to build out a workforce to recruit people to do this work. And, you know, as of today, I'm on my third executive director in the past 12 months. You know, our previous executive director um, left the agency. We then had an interim director come in from the summer until uh, late fall. And then our new director, Steve Singer, started December 1st. And along with that, there's just been a lot of staff transition. So that's one piece to just like the day-to-day machinery of, of running public defense that's been, um, you know, pretty challenging to work with. On a functional level, last legislative session, two big pieces of legislation um, passed. One was our budget bill, House Bill 5030, which significantly increased our funding. Um, more so than ever. Um, but what it did was it, it set $100 million of, of an appropriation for our agency to go to providing public defense services into what they call a SPA or a special purpose appropriation. Um, and it created all of these um, 
deadlines, reporting obligations, um, things that we needed to do to justify getting that spa released to us. So there's been a lot of new work kind of mandated by the legislature and us reporting to them about agency operations. In that bill, we did finally get some, some additional support positions for the agency, people to actually work on the administrative side of running public defense. And I know that doesn't sound sexy in terms of like, you know, the fact that we have people on the ground as attorneys, investigators working on behalf of these clients day to day. But part of the challenge in getting this system functional has been the lack of people we've had to actually run the agency. You know, when I started a few years ago, uh, we had a staff of 19 people to administer a budget of over $300 million. We only had three attorneys in the entire office. So getting these additional positions has, has really helped. Um, the second thing that happened was the legislature passed House Bill 2003, which was a bill that, you know, the agency worked with um, criminal justice reform advocates, public defense attorneys to try to put in law the expectations of of what's really needed to have a functional public defense system. Things like pay parity, things like, um, you know, caseload standards that are based on data. Um, and that bill did pass. And with that also comes a, a, a bunch of work um, trying to document how you get from point A to point B to accomplish all those tasks. So um, in between, you know, the, agency turnover and staff, the new funding, the new reporting obligations, the new mandates from House Bill 2003. It has been a wild year. And then you put on top of it the fact that we ran out of funding last summer. We did we, like we literally ran out of money um, and went about a month and a half with no money to pay providers. Um, and you put on top of that the report that was just released a month ago from the American Bar Association showing that um, Oregon has about 31% of the attorneys it needs to have a competent public defense system. And you can see why we haven't done this podcast in a year. It's just been a brutal year. Yeah. And I want to dig into that report a little bit, um, you know, during today's conversation, but yeah, it, it, you know, just what you explained as far as the transitions between different leadership, you know, the different things that pass out of the legislature as far as like different financial mandates or mandates with the financial incentives, um, you know, and considering that public defense is still in a state of crisis, it is a lot to, a lot to uh, undertaken and, you know, still be sort of in the midst of, um, you know, I think similarly for us and for myself, it was like a, a very um, intense year. Um, we had a very active legislative session. Some of the concepts, most of the concepts that we were supporting or helping, you know, um, with uh, as, as as subject matter expertise actually did pass, some of the bigger ones didn't, and you know maybe in a, in a future conversation we'll be able to talk a little bit more about some of the policy concepts. Um, some of those concepts were reintroduced in this short session, so we're hoping to have success at least on two of the bigger concepts, which would be nice. Um, but for our organization, I mean, we grew. We're now a nonprofit that has about fifty employees, maybe I think fifty-one at this point. Um, and just greatly expanded sort of our, our, not only our programmatic work, but I think we finally have got our administrative operations sort of caught up to the kind of organization we are, which is a huge relief for me because I think like you, it, you know, it was how you described OPDS being sort of understaffed or under-resourced for the type of agency 
it is. I mean, that's how we felt that we were just like constantly like holding things together and didn't have like the administrative support that we really needed to keep the, the organization functioning at a high level. And I think we just got there. And I think by next month, fingers crossed, uh, you know, it'll be at a place where there'll be a lot of things off my plate and, you know, it'll be properly sort of delegated and tasked to the right and appropriate, you know, staff members now, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty intense week. And then I don't know uh, if you've shared the same struggle, but it's like how to bring people on board into an organization, into the flow of like what's going on virtually, you know, that, that has been, like uh, a learning experience for me uh, on how to do that. And I can't say that we've done it successfully, but every time I do it with someone new, I always learn how <laughs> to do it better the next time. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. Getting, you know, more resources for any agency, whether it's a state agency like ours or a nonprofit like yours and getting workload balance does give you a chance to breathe and get a sense of relief. I mean, in a lot of ways, I feel like this is the first time I've been able to take some breaths in, in years. Um, but there is the fact that then you have to actually build out the staff with the positions that you have available, bringing them on board, getting them up to speed on agency, um, or in your case, nonprofit, what, what your mission is and doing that in this virtual environment where you're not actually like with someone in a room is, is really hard. So, um, yeah, we've, we've experienced that as well. Um, but uh, I mean, which I think now allows us both to be able to come back and do this podcast, which is great. <laughs> you know, I, I, I couldn't agree more um, as much as I had wanted to before. There was no time. No yeah, time. I think there were a couple of attempts for like, OK, let's do this. And then either you or I were just like, can't do it this week. Sorry. You know, it's not it's just not possible. And um, but um, but yeah, you know, I think, you know, it's I think both the sort of like the structural changes and the the type of intensity or the the type of year that you had with all the 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 changes too um and even for our organization i feel like it's like sort of very instructive as to the state of the criminal justice world or you know the the landscape that exists around you know the struggles and challenges that we're facing and you know for me this past year like one of the big things that we are now dealing with in a big way is you know in 2020 we had this sort of national uh, movement, um, racial justice movement centered around Black Lives Matter. It, it seemed to help generate a lot of really productive conversations about, you know, the rights and liberties of individuals within the system, the criminal justice system itself, the historical roots. But I think what we really experienced in 2021 and into this year now is the backlash to that. That's been just like very severe and sort of like, again, this um, rise of tough on crime that we're really having to like navigate again. And I gotta say, it's like very, very difficult and very challenging. Um, I think the the good news for us is like a lot of people uh, kind of came on board with us um, and joined sort of our cause or our work is supporting it, which is why we've been able to grow so much. But we are now confronted with a lot of challenges with a you know, hostile US Supreme Court, um, you know, legislators at the local level who are scared of Republicans, calling them uh, soft on crime um, to law enforcement pushback against the Black Lives Matter movement, despite like the overwhelming evidence of like bias and bigotry and misconduct and abuse. And, and it's kind of amazing to see like all of these people who are out there speaking in support of this stuff kind of retreating back um, and even retreating back further than where their previous positions were. 
And, you know, I state all this to help kind of frame, you know, the, the report that you mentioned with the ABA, you know, at the end of the day, like what I've, what I've really like learned is, you know, this, this society, this system, our elected leaders really have very little regard or care or concern for people who are accused of crimes, charged or convicted and or incarcerated. And, and I just wonder, like, if you could talk about the ABA report sort of in that context, what it would, it's what the high level sort of points were, but what is your takeaway um, about what that report is saying just generally about, you know, defendants and the, and the sort of right to counsel type of issues? Yeah, sure. So um, a few years ago, the legislature funded a report and a study to be conducted by the American Bar Association. They've done these studies in several states and, some other groups have done them too, such as the National Center for State Courts and the Rand Corporation. And the goal of these studies is to um, use data analysis to determine how many hours does an attorney need to spend serving a client on a particular case to make sure they're meeting all of their ethical obligations. And so that was the analysis that was done. What they then do is look at the number of hours that are needed for attorneys to meet their ethical obligations and come up with an estimate of how many attorneys the system needs to make sure uh, people um, who are entitled to public defense counsel are getting competent legal services. And um, what they did was they came up with a number for each. And what they found out was that we needed more than 1,800 public defense attorneys to service the population that are in our courts. And these are cases that, you know, it's not just criminal cases. I mean, it's primarily criminal cases, but it's it's youth, it's juvenile delinquency cases, it's families in the child welfare system um, who um, are facing dependency cases, civil commitments. Um, you know, what they found is we were about 1,200 attorneys short um, and that we only had uh, 31% of the attorneys that we needed to serve these clients. And when you do the quick math on that, that means that each attorney is doing more than three times the work they can do to provide competent representation. And this was not um, news or shocking to public defense providers. They know this. I did this work for over a decade. I knew this. Um but putting it in data form, I think, really did help because once you start looking at like how many hours should you be spending on a case, talking to your client, doing legal research, working with an investigator, you, you really see that they're very modest numbers. Um, this isn't like a study that was supposed to determine how you get the best legal uh, services ever. This is just how do you get ethical representation for public defense clients and um you know, what you see in this report is um, a system that's gone through decades of neglect. Um, it just hasn't been dealt with by elected officials or policymakers in a significant or serious way ever since the right to counsel was implemented in the state in Gideon v. Wainwright. So it's it's super sad. Um, you know, when you when you actually look at the data and look at the numbers, it's it's depressing for the public defense community and the workforce. We've had a lot of attorneys leave this past year. A lot of people have folded on the uh, on the work. Um, but I mean, what it's documenting is happening in real time. I mean, you know, we ran out of public defense attorneys. Um, we have clients in custody all throughout the state on serious charges such as murder who don't have an attorney. Some have gone months without an attorney. They're in jail. Um, and, you know, 
the fact that we have all these clients who don't have counsel, there's this tendency, I think, right now to kind of blame everything on COVID. And, you know, well, there's a backlog in the course because of COVID. And certainly that's played an impact in this. But the bottom line is we've never had enough attorneys. We've never had anywhere near close to enough attorneys. Certainly COVID's impacted. Certainly the Ramos versus Louisiana uh, Supreme Court decision has impacted that because what it did was it reversed a whole bunch uh, of cases and sent them back for new trials. Um, but the bottom line is we've never had anywhere near the resources we need to serve these clients. So like maybe in another episode, like we can in the next episode, we can actually talk about, you know, more in depth, like public defense structure with the ABA report said how it built on the Sixth Amendment Center. You know, just revisit that because I know we've discussed it previously, but I think there's a lot to like surface and to think about. And I think, you know, the way that you talked about it as far as neglect by the, you know, by our state and, you know, the different branches of government. Um, I think that's a really important aspect to highlight um, that that that's really sort of what happened. And you know, my big concern right now is because of sort of like the political climate that we live in, that it seems like any type of push for equity or fairness for people who are charged or accused of crimes or convicted of crimes or incarcerated, um, there's this tag that you're being pro-crime or pro-criminal. And, you know, the the public defense crisis comes, at, you know, in many ways at a, at a very inopportune time politically because you know people there's a a, there's not like the political will really to like dig into this issue um but yeah you know it's amazing to me that something so fundamental as uh the right to counsel has been ignored for so long and you know you know we've talked about this for before but like a robust public defense system is a prophylactic for the protection of other rights because you're investigating police misconduct, right? You're, you're pushing back against prosecutorial sort of overcharging. Um, you know, you're looking at those things and, and it's really sort of like the backstop to some of those, some of those systemic issues that all of us are really fighting really hard to, to reform right now. No, it's a legitimate concern. I mean, in the eighties and nineties, public defense was used as a partisan issue. Um, free lawyers for criminals. Now that has certainly changed over the last two decades. And publicly, we've always had bipartisan support. You know, we have never, like at least since I've been doing this work, we haven't been seen as a partisan issue. Behind the scenes, do we get that support? We, we haven't, but publicly at least, you know, we haven't been out there in that space. But what you just said, I think is really important because particularly as legislators who work in a bicameral legislature in a three branch government that is predicated on checks and balances. To me, it's just so intuitive that the function served by public defenders is a check and balance on other parts of the system to make sure they don't go too far in their use of their power. And without that being properly resourced, um, you see overcharging, you see overincarceration, um, you see illegal searches. Um, so it's really important to have that function resource correctly, or you don't have a system with the kind of checks and balances that legislators operate in within themselves because they know that the, the human condition and, and power are something that needed to be guarded against. Yeah. Like, you know, I think there's just so much to unpack with this. So, yeah, we'll definitely spend some time, um, you know, talking about this maybe next week um, or, you know, one of these upcoming episodes. But, you know, as we sort of get back into the swing of things, uh, I wonder if it's like worth, 
talking about, um, I know we've talked a little bit about like what we hope to accomplish with the podcast, but um, what do you think like moving forward, like things that you've learned or things that you hope to, uh, uh, that we can do differently or things that you want to do more of with this podcast? Well, I, I think from my perspective, I, I kind of got into this when you and your organization had the, the women in prisons conference and I would go to it and I would meet a whole bunch of people who are really interested in the, the in the criminal legal system, but who weren't lawyers. And that's one of the things that I'm hopeful with this is that we can reach people who are passionate and care about what's going on with the criminal legal system, but don't necessarily come from that lawyer background um, and could, you know, benefit from some insight and want to learn more about it from people who are, you know, more familiar and in the trenches. But um you know, that's kind of where I'd like to see this, this go. And in doing so, I think we can bring up, you know, topics that are, are focused on things that are present, like kind of in the news, things that people are interested in and maybe have some guests on, you know, and get some other people's takes on some of these issues. Yeah. I think for me, similarly, like, I think, um, you know, continuing to use this as a way to, um, you know, to, as a public education tool, I, I think there's so much to talk about. And oftentimes the overwhelm of the system or all the different parts of the system, all the different issues can deter people from wanting to engage in this issue. Um, and, you know, I hope like we can use this as an opportunity to continue to like uh, talk about issues and build up people's um, understanding of like what's going on and, you know, vicariously sort of getting proximate to these issues in a way that they just couldn't. And yeah, I, I think, you know, it'd be really fun to, I think, um, try to include some guests and some outside voices and perspectives that could help, you know, um, uh, add some more definition to some of the conversations that we're having. So, you know, yeah, moving forward, I hope, you know, we can, uh, there will be some more guests or there will be guests and that, you know, we can bring those voices in. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, like I said, I'm excited about getting this going again. Um, you know, uh, I think there's a lot to talk about like this past year, both from the issues related to public defense. But, you know, I, you know, I'd love to dig in a little bit more to, you know, the work that our organization's doing, some of the cases that we've been working on. Some of them are high profile or have profile to them. Some of them don't. Um, there's a bunch of new issues that we jumped into um, that we're trying to push. Um, and then, um you know, talk about it in the context of sort of this ebb and flow that we're in right now around these issues and what it means. Um, you know, I think uh, a lot of this work has to be sort of state focused um, uh, using, you know, our state courts, using our local legislature to really protect, create some robust protections because the U.S. Supreme Court seems to be like gone <laughs> for the next, I don't know how many years, but for a while now um, as, a, as sort of like a backstop to, um, some of uh, you know the the misconduct or abuse that that has been occurring. So yeah, just looking forward to to getting that conversation, like moving that conversation forward this way. No, and you're right. The um, since I've been in this world the last six seven years, everyone kept talking about the progress that we were making, but the pendulum may switch, and we're in this pandemic now, and things are happening, and people are reacting, and you just you always wonder um, if if you know, progressive uh, criminal justice reformers can can kind of keep the path here um, as the pandemic continues and stymie, you know, some of the, the changes in rhetoric we're already starting to see. So, yeah. And as always, we can uh, add some colorful commentary about the Blazers <laughs> and some other uh, some other people in the state as well. So 
that's also <clears throat> a lot of fun to do. But yeah, um, so we'll be back. We'll try to be back as regularly as possible. No commitments as far as like how regular that will be. But, um, you know, I, I look forward to trying to get out uh, episodes when, uh, if we can, we'll try to aim for, um, you know, having episodes recorded on Thursdays and produced out or published out uh, shortly thereafter. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll just go from there. Hopefully when we do our next one, Damian Lillard is still on the team. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Uh, all right. Well, thanks uh, to all those who are listening. And also in this past year, since we've been off, uh, I've received a number of emails or comments from people about uh, how they've appreciated this podcast. So that's also been one of the reasons where it sort of motivated at least me to get back into this because, you know, it's sort of like, well, people are actually listening and, you know, um, and, and actually uh, thought this was a, something that benefited them in some way. So, yeah, so we look forward to coming back and thanks for listening and um, we'll see you hopefully next week. I'm Bob and Singh. And I'm Eric Dietrich. And this is Trailblazing Justice.